You're listening to Tech Recruit, a podcast that educates talent acquisition and recruitment professionals on innovation to attract talent across all industries. We're glad you're here. Hey listeners, I really appreciate you tuning in to my podcast. Please remember if you're listening on iTunes to give us a good five-star rating. And if you're listening in on other platforms, throw in some great comments below. We really appreciate all the support. Now on to the podcast. Welcome to the Tech Recruit Podcast. My name is Stacey Broadwell. I will be your host. And today we have Marin Hogan as our guest. We're very excited. Welcome, Marin Hogan. Thank you for having me. Yay, I'm super excited to be here. Um, I'm really excited to come to LA very soon and talk about recruiting uh, from a marketing perspective. We have, um, we're going to be doing the LAX Tech Recruit, and as we've been looking for top speakers, your name has come up time and time again, and I know that you and I jumped on the phone probably about a year ago and spoke briefly, so now that we've been able to kind of get together and talk about what um, really drives you and what moves your company is really exciting, and I know that will add value to our listeners So tell me, you're the CEO of Red Branch Media. You're also the founder. Tell me about what you guys do. So uh, get ready to fall asleep. Uh, Red Branch Media is a full service marketing and advertising agency for B2B technologies and services, primarily HR recruiting related technology and services. And we do um, probably 10% of our revenue um, comes from employer branding and helping companies build out their career sites and how they help them figure out how to attract the right candidates to them. We specialize in weird industries and weird places. So oh. if you're like Facebook hiring in Palo Alto, we're not the ones for you. If you're a meatpacking joint hiring in you know, Wyoming, probably you should call us. Those are so unique challenges in identifying and identifying talent, but also you mentioned like the employer brand building out their website. And, and I do recall when I was working internally as a recruiter one time, sitting in a boardroom with a, um, an agency who is going to help them build out their career site and, you know, just kind of going through some of the questions that they would ask initially and kind of what their brand was, what their mission statement was. When, is that something that you do? You come in and you meet with the stakeholders and help them develop that idea? Yeah, so we can we can work with folks at every level of the, of the process. So we can start with the EVP and the values, the mission, vision, values piece, and work from there and bring it down to a strategy, and then you know take it through an audit, bring it down to a strategy, bring it down to an implementation plan, and then our agency, because they're a pretty of us, can implement that month over month to make sure that your recruitment marketing as it relates to your employer brand is actually getting out there. Um, but we don't have to do every step of that to be able to support a, a client. So we can just do the recruitment marketing implementation. We don't have to have come up with a thing. Our goal is we're in Omaha, Nebraska. Our work ethic is big. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, we don't want to pretend like we know more than we know. We know there's a ton of smart employer branding people out there, and we're happy to learn from them and work alongside them to make sure that companies attract the kind of people that they want to attract because the companies that care about it usually they actually want that right like they're they're not just paying lip service um generally to the thought of candidate experience or employer branding or recruitment marketing they really 
want the people that work for them to be happy, to be engaged, to be fulfilled, and to enjoy their careers there. Yeah, it's, it's really an interesting space lately, and there's so much opportunity because you can capture data in such a different way and utilize that data to develop this marketing plan, um, and, and, and how you kind of do that is, is difficult because you don't want to take the wrong step. Certainly, you know, I've had my own challenges in being able to develop a brand and what that says, and you know, there's that fear of putting the wrong content out there and having somebody who can come in and help you do that. Oh, it's so key. Um, so I'm curious, like you, you mentioned that there's, there's different, uh, it, it's some of those, like the, the trucking company in Wyoming or the meatpacking company in, in Wyoming. And so what would their, some of their challenges be? So, um, some of their challenges are right. They want a diversity and inclusion policy, but 90, Five percent of the people who take meatpacking supervisory jobs um, are going to be male, right? They they fight the fact that most people think meatpacking plants are ugly and gross, and they don't want them in their, you know, in their uh, community. However, you can make one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year as a meatpacking supervisor, and you don't need a college degree. Uh, so there are some like real misconceptions about it that you have to get out. Um, there are some they are competing. Uh, potentially with like, if they do have college graduates that are going through the program, they're competing with companies that are far, seem far more sophisticated. Um, there's also the sort of like um, ethical concerns that people are frustrated around. So it's like trying to recruit for a tobacco company, not quite as bad, but getting there. <laughs> so there's a lot that they have to contend with. That's really, um, that was one of the things that was coming to mind when you're talking about the meatpacking, like the, the ethical, because, you know, there's this, a lot of talk right now is, um, in regards to people, candidates wanting to join companies that have that sense of prestige and the culture and what that means to them. And it's all about what's important to them ethically. And, you know, maybe butchering is not one of those things or tobacco. You mentioned tobacco and cannabis is huge right now. I'm curious, do you have any um, thoughts or have you guys worked with any cannabis companies or? No, we haven't. So we're based in Nebraska and right next door is, well, you guys are used to it in California, but right next door is Colorado and we're like, woohoo. <laughs> you know, we've got a very <laughs> governor, so very crazy. Um, I would love to work with the cannabis industry. I've always told my children, um, hey, we follow the law of the land. It's illegal. We can't do it. Um, but I think that the times are changing, right? They've changed about a thousand social issues, as you and I both know, um, over the past 10, 15, 20 years. And I think that's going to change very quickly as well. I think I would feel much more comfortable selling cannabis than tobacco or probably even packing, I guess for lack of a better term. But one of the things that we did was we identified why people do what they do. And for those who wanted to work in it, like it was like feed the world. So they were the world's largest protein provider. And it was like, you can help feed the world. You can help make sure that people get the sustenance that they need because they were working all over the planet. And so that is, although meatpacking is seen as sustainable and maybe a little bit gross, and it's definitely gross, um, we were able to tap into that, you know, I grew up on a farm, I grew up understanding how this works, the sort of circle of life from an, a rural standpoint, and here's where I want to give my time and energy when it comes to a position. 
So where you come in and what's important for that company. So they have this, um, they have this idea of this, uh, would you call it an affinity? I mean, how they, how a, a, a potential candidate is going to align themselves with a, a mission of a, of a company? Is it that a company looks for affinities? Is it affinity marketing? How would you describe that? So I think um, I've always been a giant proponent of people selecting in to your process and people selecting out of your process. Um, both are equally valuable, actually, because you don't want somebody selecting in if they're not going to be a fit because then your retention number is going to suck, right? Um, they're not going to be happy. You're going to spend all this money training them. It's, it's a disaster on both ends. So um, for me, when I am faced with something like this, I identify the company's mission, vision, values as it stands first, right? There are going to be, like we did, we toured a meatpacking plant. We went in and saw the people that work there. We asked them, why do you work here? What's, you know, what drives you? Why is it good to work here? And we figured out basically the, the traits and the persona of somebody who want to work there and want to get into leadership there. And we learned a ton of stuff that actually went flew in the face of a lot of things that we wanted to sort of do um, initially. Like, like EV people would be like, oh, we need to get our diversity numbers up. And oh, we need to do SMS, you know, uh, texting to all these candidates. And like, none of that was right. It was all wrong. <laughs> and so I think that understanding the company first, rather than saying, we want these people, let's adjust the company to the people. That's not gonna happen, especially if it's not like, well, larger than 10 people. So right. we say, we want these people, this is where the company is today. Who are the people that thrive here? And then build that sort of mold and say, okay, how do we hire to the, the key things that are the drivers in that person? And where is that person gonna be? And what kind of message will they be receptive to? I see. So there are, it's, it's funny cause you kind of mentioned this, like there's texting and then there's all these different ways you can reach out to people and we can be very robust and use all these tools, but maybe the audience that they're speaking to other candidates or the employees aren't people who actually um, function that way. Precisely. So the reason that we learned that SMS wasn't going to work is because no phones. So we had an internal recruiting program and an external recruiting program and a college recruiting program for this one position, that supervisory position. And in the internal program, we were like, well, we'll send SMS alerts whenever, you know, a recruiter is on site. You know, they have all these different sites. And they're like, yeah, no phones are out on the kill floor. And they need kill floor experience to have this position. I was like, oh. Well, that's freaking dumb then. Like, why would we spend a bunch of money on SMS <laughs> for this particular campaign? So we had to come up with a different way. And sometimes it's a simplified table tennis and bathroom door apps, right? Like it could that could be well, the message. Creative, yeah. Yeah. So and it and it was. So we were contracted to get 60, I think 55 to 60 managerial positions filled, or the supervisory positions filled in a year. We did it in nine months. And it was a mix of old school and new school and frankly, common sense, right? <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it, but if you sit down at a table to eat lunch, you are going to want, you, you're gonna read what's in front of you probably. Yeah. You're especially likely to read it if it's in a language that you understand. And so if you understand your refugee uh, capacity or your second generation citizen capacity and what they might wanna read, um, then it's, it's 
it just doesn't feel that hard when you understand the person that you're writing to. So you're developing the content, you're developing the channels of, of which this is delivered and, and the message. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and then month over month, you're, you're helping them in carrying that message forward. Now, are you developing articles and stories or how does that come about? Yeah, so the reason that we started doing this work in the first place is because, of course, we were marketing for recruiting vendors and HR tech vendors and working with lots of people in the space. And um, I, I was like, I think I can develop an employer brand. I think I can do this. Like, it feels like it has these elements. And, and I talked to a, a close friend of mine, Crystal Miller, who's great on um, Pro, And she said, yeah, you're right. It does contain these elements. So we built it out. And then the implementation plan came from just opening an agency. So it's, yeah, we write the content, we distribute the content, we optimize the content, we collect the channels, we measure the efficacy of the channels, we, you know, build up the events, we create the swag, just everything you would expect that a full service agency would do. Billboards to radio to everything. Okay. That is really a cool model. And I, I, I love the, that you have, it's, it's the content and it's the, um, the articles and the channels as well as the events. So you do events for the companies as well. Yeah, we had a really fantastic case study um, that Craig, who's also speaking, um, and I worked on together. And it was, I don't want to give too much away because we definitely want to do a case study presentation on this. But um, essentially, I was over in London not too long ago, and I was talking to somebody who had been in the space um, for 20 years. He led APAC for a very large RPO. And I said, so what's the coolest thing that you've seen in the last 20 years for recruiting? And he said, you know, it was actually this, um, this campaign that, that our company just did. And he said, you know what we did? We, um, we did gas station toppers, and we did radio ads, and we sent out texts for the career fair and we did all this. And I was like, yeah, I know. He's like, I'm telling you about your own campaign, aren't I? And I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> and it was really, really fantastic to hear somebody who had been in the space for so long say the, the combination of old school tactics and new sort of innovative ideas together. And, in, and this was very location-based, right? It was like very rural, mountain top, high drug, problem issues were there. Um, so we had to focus on not only recruiting but retention and people who could pass a drug test who wanted a full-time job. And so we were able to really just um, hit the goals that the client set um, alongside one another and market that. And it was just like, wow, like what you can do when you actually put yourself in the candidate's shoes blows my mind. Like, we um like gas station topper advertisements you know like usually those top yeah ones. that's like so <laughs> cool and that it's something that is so effective and and you think you're trying to like i'm trying to think out of the box and you strain yourself almost doing that when you can just be so simple and use the tried and true methods that's really cool but i think what's What's even cooler is that you 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 ran into somebody who at APAC who heads up an RPO who mentioned your own campaign. That's amazing. I was pretty freaking psyched to bring that back to the team. Um, obviously, it's a team effort here. I'm not um, the one and only, but it was 
you know, you think about like, it's really, truly, it all breaks down to like empathy and attraction. So I think about when I'm in rural Nebraska, what do I see? I see nothing except for when I stop for gas. That's when I see things. Or I stop in a fast food restaurant and I see a little ad in the bathroom. Like those, and when you're trying to recruit in those areas, I think that maybe perhaps my team, some of them moving into Omaha, the city, um, from out of town or from smaller towns in Nebraska, they might, they understand that just a little bit better. And we see that, you know, um, we're not home. Some of our markets that we have to attract are not bombarded with information the way that many other larger markets are. It's that's yeah. I was just thinking the difference between because I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> there is certainly not a lack of billboards or advertisements in every like you know the balloon goons on every you know people <laughs> signs. Just like how do you like get above and beyond? you know, that, um, advertisements, uh, everywhere, everywhere. They're all over the place. Um, so, but that's, that's really neat. So, okay. So you develop the content and then you mentioned something earlier and, and you help them disseminate this, this over, month over month. Now it sounds like you were held to a certain, um, uh, uh, success and, um, and, and that being that you hired an X amount of, of candidates and I think you said you were looking like uh, 50 to 60 managerial roles to fill over a certain amount of time. Yes. Do you help them in the recruitment process as well? Like, is there a, an amount of that? So just like our marketing agency, we have like this little graph that says where the RBM train stops. The RBM train stops uh, for, for marketing for vendors at the demo or the phone call or the ask. For um, companies who are looking to recruit, it stops once they've secured an interview. I can't make your hiring, well, I mean, you can make your hiring manager better, but people don't hire us to do that, right? I can give you a rubric to manage your interviews so that they can be less biased, but people don't hire us to do that. So from an employer brand and recruitment marketing perspective, once they've secured an interview with that candidate, whether it's at a career fair, in-person, video, what have you, then our responsibility goes away. Because our job is to qualify them up to that point, right? So right. You know, how old are you? You know, and a lot of that is happening like we're able to create sort of chatbots that that ask those questions or or SMS, you know, conversational AI that ask those things as well. Um, it's just a matter of putting that stuff in place. Mm, okay. So so you are able then and, and there there must be uh, an, an absolute adherence then to tracking this candidate journey. And I know to a certain point that could be, that could be daunting, especially for companies, unless you are red branch media <laughs> and you've done this many times. Um, what, what are some of the challenges there? Cause I know like, you know, you see when the candidate gets into the ATS, but then far out, I mean, what sort of tools do you use to help you in that process? So um, a lot of the tools that we use after that particular point where our train stops are anecdotal, right? So if we're hearing on, on one side from the sales team or on the side that we're discussing now, the employer brand, if we're hearing from the hiring managers, like none of these people are getting through, none of them are. So we need to go in as a marketing team in either case and inspect and figure out why. Sometimes it's because the hiring manager is the issue, right? Like maybe he or she is not running the interviews all the same way. 
maybe they're not gathering all the information, maybe they're not giving certain groups of people a chance versus other groups of people, maybe they have untoward, not untoward, uh, unrealistic education and experience uh, parameters. So when we can identify those things, we do, but we always also look back to our own personal experience and say, okay, did we forget to ask this? Should we bring this you know, piece that's causing a, a roadblock here, way over here into the FAQs or into the chatbot or into the emails or into the white papers that people are downloading on how to work you know, as a junior graphic designer or whatever it is. So um, I think we're kind of open to both things. Um, but to answer your original question, it's generally um, all of the things that happen after the sale, um, the sale, the hire, whatever you call it, um, are more anecdotal. We can do retention, renewal, standard tactics there, um, but we tend not to because for, in our opinion, hiring managers don't have time and salespeople um, are not bent that particular way to, to input data and mass so that we can analyze it. It's more anecdotal. So um, it's, it's interesting and, 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 and correct me if I am, I'm off base here. It sounds like when you come in, it's the catalyst is that the company is looking to hire uh, in a massive way, or they have a lot of, um, you know, they have a lot of, positions they need to fill. And so you're specifically, your message and your, and, and your branding and um, the, the stuff that you're doing is specific to those positions versus the company as a whole. Is that right? Uh, it can be. So we have what we call job family. So there's employer brand, which is very overarching, but I see this in like pretty much every presentation I give and they're all different. But one thing remains the same is that you're not going to use the same set of, set of recruitment marketing tactics to hire a janitor as you would to hire a job at a developer. You're right. not thinking, like, um, it's, it's like going to Bed Bath & Beyond the store, right? You go in there and you think of all the things that you wanna buy, but there's also specific circulars that you receive in the mail. It's like, oh, this product and this product and this product. And there's also like coupons, like time sensitive things that you have to pay attention to. And so I try to liken that, that marketing sales uh, sort of funnel on a consumer side to the same thing on a job candidate side, right? Like, so your employer brand is what people think Bed Bath & Beyond is, no matter where they are, no matter, you know, if they've been in the store or not. Your job family is like, oh, hey, we need developers here. That's like the circular that you get in the mail. And then the 20% off until May 3rd, oh my gosh, I need to get into the store. I mean, now they have a different model. That's not quick. Um, that 20% off coupon, that's the urgency. That's the recruitment marketing. Like, we need to fill this position now. $3,000 signing bonus, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Butts and seats, right? So it goes down the funnel, same as marketing does, which is why I think Red Branch was able to slide in uh, to those DMs so easily. <laughs> That it's it's really interesting because um, and I and I like how that 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 distinction because it's not the overarching employer brand while that's important to the jobs that you're putting out there and you have to tie it together. There's got to be a lot of I would imagine interviewing and it almost feels like it's almost like an intake meeting um, if you would. But what is that? What is that like? Do you do you, do you talk to them kind of like 
almost like a recruiter, like you're, you're speaking about the different, like you said, Java position and what the type of things that they're looking for in the technologies and really understanding what they're looking for in that role. And do you talk to the recruiters or how does that, how does that start? So I would say that it starts in the same sort of linear fashion that I just described. So in the beginning, we really are, if we get concerned over here with like the 25% of your time will be spent standing, sitting, blah, 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 with like whatever, we're never going to get to where we need to get. So we start with the mission, vision, values. We start with what current employees think the actual company brings to the table and what they're bringing to the company. Right? Because once you identify those values, and I'm a big believer in this as well, they impact everything from hiring. I, I talk about our values in hiring. I talk about them in performance management reviews. I talk about them everywhere. So we get those settled. Once we've got that on a good cadence, and I hate to use the word automated because that, that's not really what I'm trying to say. Like Once that's set, then we move down to the job families and say, okay, what do these values mean in each department? What do these values mean for success in this position? And then we get that settled and we like imbue that into the department leaders who we talk to, but we also talk to people who are brand new. What does that mean to you? What does you know transparency mean to you, email marketing specialist too? Like <laughs> it means something different to her than it means to the guy that's been there for you know eight years and is her uh, superior or whatever. So then finally, uh, if we have an evergreen rec, then we'll spend a lot of time figuring out specifically what's needed to continue to hire those people. But if it's a, if it's a bit of a unicorn, um, then we give all of that information to a company that knows how to hire, you know, a, a special like executive or somebody that's very specific. And we'll give the company that same advice. Like, okay, we can do this. We can put this out on the website. This seems like a different, a better path for this uh, I would imagine there's been times when you've stepped in a company and maybe they didn't have the channels. It, maybe you had to set them up like Instagram or any sort of social media channels and help them get those set up. Has, has, the, has that been something that's happened? Yeah. So um, typically it starts with us rebuilding their career site. And as we're doing their career site, we get to know the team. We sometimes simultaneously will be doing this EVP work. On the back end, um, we'll be writing their copy, their job descriptions, all that good stuff. And then um, we'll take that knowledge and kick them into a retained uh, sort of position once their site is launched. And that's when we set up all of those accounts, especially if we need to get those accounts like they, they didn't even have them, right? They didn't even have their own name or something like that. Um, so we, and then we set those up, we build up their profiles and we start creating their following and, and um, basically marketing them to candidates. Uh, did you say you you make the job descriptions as well? Yeah. You write those? That's, uh, that is, okay. So tell me, um, I've been seeing this, this uh, these really cool job descriptions lately and kind of how they have this kind of basis in um, sort of an IO psychology and just the way they interview. And, and I've spoken to a lot of different companies in regards to how they develop these job descriptions. Um, do you have um, some, some, advice on how you develop these or a standard that you use? Well, um, I have a quick analogy and then I have a kind of a standard, like what I consider to be the golden standard of the job advertising. So a job description, which I, I used incorrectly just now, um, is what the job is. It's what we see internally, but it's not really what the candidate should see ever. 
Um, it should be revisited often, education, experience, etc. Um, but it's like you know when you buy shoes, um, how on the side of the box you see a drawing of the shoe. Sure. This is a leather upper, red, seven and a half wide, which is my size. <laughs> you know, it does all that this info about the shoe, right? But you didn't go into the store because of that info. You went because you saw this picture of a long-legged gazelle hopping across a puddle in this amazing shoe. That's the job ad. The description is the stuff on the side of the box. The job ad is what drew you to it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't say what size it is. It doesn't say what it's made of or what it looks like or how high the heel is. It just shows you what your life would be like if you had that shoe. And that's what I think the difference is between descriptions and ads, right? So when it comes to a job ad, I think that um, Lever, who, uh, Leela, who works at Leela, uh, who works at SurveyMonkey now, but she used to work at Lever, um, has written one of the, or has overseen uh, one of the best job description or job ad oversights that I've ever seen. And we use that as our model. The reason being, um, it doesn't start with the company which it never should. Like I even tell VCs this, like don't tell people about yourself. Nobody cares about you. They care about the product. Same thing with job ads, right? Um, it also says, here's, here's what we think you should know by one month, one year, you know, three years. And that, that sets such a great um, base for a trusting relationship because people are able to go as far as that and maybe farther. But when you give them no parameters, they have no idea where they're supposed to be going. It's like that psychiatry experiment where um, they took the fence uh, down from around a playground and all the kids just huddled in the center because they didn't know where the edge was. They didn't know where danger was. When they put the fence back up, they played to the very edge of that fence. And I feel like when people that you've just hired understand what's expected to them, expected from them at specific milestones, they can flourish much better. I, I love those. I've been seeing them not so much, but more so lately. And it's, um, it's an impressive way to advertise your job role. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say what I was thinking earlier because I, I wanted to see what your standard was, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. Just those expectations of what you'll be doing the first month, three months, a year from now. And, um, I, I don't think I've always seen that. And, and so do you feel that that's something that is relatively new? How long has that been going on? How long have you been recommending it? Um, well, I've been recommending the candidate first approach for five years now. Okay. I know that Lever has been using their descriptions for at least, and don't quote me on this, I just know I noticed them about three years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure that other sort of leading companies, companies that were focused on that kind of like, and it, it, it is unique to startups and people who have raised money, right? They have a runway and they anticipate that everyone else is going to need to follow that runway and understand what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in, in a good way, that has really, that startup culture has really helped when it comes to job ads because we all know people aren't likely to stay with you more than two, two and a half years, period, end of story, right? Maybe top execs, but for the most part, that is like Gen Z, Gen Y, they're like over 50% of the workforce now, I'm pretty sure. 
and that like that half the work, workforce that has no intention of staying beyond two two and a half years. So you need to accelerate the sourcing time, recruiting time, onboarding time, training time. And if they know right off the bat when they read the job ad that you're expected at six months to do X, Y, and Z, hopefully they select back out of the process if they're not ready and they select in if they're a go-getter and that's what they want to see in their advice and however long six months. It's such a great way to put your job out there. I feel like it makes people more excited because they can envision what it is that they're going to be doing and see themselves or not see themselves in that role. And um, Candace Taylor, she's going to be speaking at, um, at LAX Tech Recruit at Midwest Tech Recruit. And she has the, that's how they do their job descriptions. And it was the reason I called her and asked her to speak because I said, tell me about these job descriptions. How did you guys do that? So um, she's going to be talking a little bit about that, but I think also on, on interviewing and how she sets that up. But um, I want to, this is um, really interesting how you guys de develop um, the, or help companies in, in getting their ads out there and attract talent. Cause that's really what this is all about. Like how do you use innovations to attract talent? How do you use social media? How do you use all the tools that are out there to go above and beyond just posting on a job board? Um, yeah, I think it's really different for every client, right? Just like it's different for if you're marketing something, right? Marketing a $7 a month app, like some SaaS thing is going to be totally different than marketing a $250,000 a year HRIS, right? So there's going to be different tools and avenues. I think from a social media standpoint, we actually just talked about this with a client today. My uh, Molly, our social media manager, came to me. She's like, the numbers are down on reports every single month, and I don't get it, and I don't know why. Because it feels like we're busier than ever. And so she dove in, and she was like, oh, the numbers on our report only reflect traffic that comes back to the website. It doesn't reflect engagement, you know, new followers, all these things that we're doing over here, but it's just not tracked on the career site or the website. And so what we learned from that is that we, um, not only do we need to measure different things, obviously, but we also need to, to bring the thunder over here, right? Don't try and track people back from social media to your site if they're not going there, right? They want that to happen here. So we need to give them what they want here. And so that's, that's one thing, right? So a lot of people want to bring people back to their career site. Great, fantastic. Actually, maybe you should just do a Facebook lead ad. And, and follow up, right? Um, when it comes to uh, job boards, I have a very specific saying that I've been saying for probably 10 years, which is um, you can't find a needle in a haystack by building a bigger haystack. Um, and I feel like a lot of, not all, but many job boards um, tout the number of profiles, the number of resumes, um, instead of touting um, uh, how they get people interested in the position. Um, you do need both, but when you are relying solely on job boards, you're basically asking to drink from a fire hose. I don't get that. <laughs> Maybe I'm just naturally lazy, but I don't get that, right? Like I would rather like go out and find the perfect person and have a great conversation like the one that we're having than, you know, get 50 resumes for a position and then have to sort through them and give six seconds to each one that's not that's not recruiting in my opinion yeah i agree and you know in recruitment it's so it's so imperative for the talent acquisition and the they're the very first person that the candidate speaks with and 
just, I mean, not only just in having the right sort of conversation, but that approach and where you find those candidates oftentimes comes down to the recruiter. And so I, I feel like there's just been this evolution in recruiters being way more savvy and being able to implement and being digital and being able to harness and, and data, but I mean, also to be able to advertise and go out on social media and being able to do these sort of things, but it's still very difficult because you don't want to misstep. And if a company is larger, they oftentimes, and you've probably run into this, they, they're, they're concerned about using certain um, uh, plugins for ATSs. Um, I've worked on site with companies and I'm like, can we bring in this sourcing tool to like, you know, pull in all this information? It'll be make, you know, make things way happy. I'm happy to share it. And they're like, no, we can't do that because we're a financial company. Um, And, and so I don't know if maybe you run into that and then, you know, maybe you've had some, some challenges there. Definitely. Um, I will say that the, like the, the ethos I espouse is not, um, applicable to everyone. So I was speaking at uh, Recruit UC, which is this fantastic conference on the other side of you. <laughs> and um, it's wonderful, but I gave like this presentation about, um, it was like dirty jobs, right? It was like jobs nobody wants and how we get people to take them. And there was a meat packing example and a few other ones. And afterward, um, somebody came up to me and she's like, hey, uh, I don't have, I recruit clearance uh, candidates and I am not able to send them any of the things that you just talked about and half of them are like underground and don't even have self-service and like can't even like access these websites and I was like okay I could pretend like I can solve your problem but I can't solve your problem <laughs> so the one thing that I can say is that there's a lot of things that you can say on the phone that you can't say in the written word so if you can structure your recruitment process to get people on the phone, um, or you can build a chat bot that brings them a little bit closer, that might work. But again, these are not, you know, finance positions. Sometimes maybe there's a little bit more of a pool for those folks, but this does not work for every single company. <laughs> yeah. uh, clear, clear, security cleared folks uh, in particular. They just can't be... Um, Maybe you can build a persona for them. Maybe you can figure out in, uh, you know, in a tangible way, like the gas station toppers and things like that to work with them, but it doesn't work for everything. Um, so I'm curious how you got into recruiting yourself. How did you find, what has your career path been? How did you start? I feel like, I, I don't know many people, there are some who really wanted to be in HR and recruiting and, and they went to school for it, but mostly not. So I'm curious how your career be- began. Yeah, um, it's, it's not actually really interesting. <laughs> um, so I worked in, I was a fine arts major. Um, I got pregnant with my oldest son. I told my advisor I need to make money because I go into advertising is fantastic. Uh, I worked in marketing and advertising while I was raising my uh, three kiddos. Right after um, my third boy was born, my father-in-law and my husband started a recruiting firm. Uh, this was 2007, 2008, which is the worst possible time to start a recruiting firm. It tanked, but not before I met Chris Dunn from Fistful of Talent and uh, recruiting blog staff and all these amazing people. Um, I went to my first ERE, my first conference, started 
speaking and writing, and I was just super excited about the space. And I think one of my one of the benefits of being kind of a newbie, right? Because I was a marketing person, not a recruiter. Uh, was I asked a ton of questions, like probably annoying amount of questions. And so people were really helpful and really opening, and they're really open. And after a few years, um, somebody bought recruiting blogs, and so I sort of walked away and went into a different space. I went to the travel blogger space and built the same kind of community and conference franchise. And I just, I missed recruiting in HR. I really, really did. So like, and travel blogging is really cool, right? Like people pay for you to go places and it's awesome. It's super cool. Um, but I was like, no, I, I miss these people. I miss this space. Like I tell my people when they come in and interview, I'm like, you know what? You have to bring your own inspiration. Mine is, because this is a boring baby space sometimes, but my inspiration is, unless you're a trust fund baby, you and everybody you know works. And they have for most of their lives. And our clients and the work that we do impacts those people's lives. And that's the majority of the population. So I feel great about what I do. Um, and so I, I came back. I worked for a few uh, startups in the recruiting space. And finally, I just started... I decided to start my own um, consultancy, uh, which very quickly grew to the 30-person crazy agency that I somehow ended up managing today. <laughs> I, I mean, really, it kind of, I feel like anything that is successful happens because you are passionate about it. You've heard this before. I mean, when you really are passionate about something and you believe in it, everything kind of falls in line and everybody gets behind you on it. And, and I feel like that was the case with LAX Tech Recruit. Um, it was, I was very passionate about wanting to know what are the best um, strategies for employer branding, for recruitment marketing, what are the best tools that other companies are using. And I wanted to talk to people who were actually using those tools, not to the vendors or the sales reps or the YouTube channels. Um, and, and it was something that we didn't have here in Los Angeles. And a lot of people got behind it, behind it, and they were very supportive, and doors were opened, and I got to meet great people. It's only, it hasn't even been a year, and it's been a very rewarding experience. I've learned so much just in this time that you and I have been chatting, and my last call, I was speaking actually with uh, uh, Craig Fisher, and he spoke so highly of you, um, and, and he was saying how, I, I, I feel like uh, maybe it was, 10 years ago or something that you were running, was it the first ever Twitter chat for recruitment or? Yeah, it was before even Twitter, actually. Um, yeah, it was like. Ning. Ning, if you even know what Ning is, then you are yeah. like 100 years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I've known Craig since forever. We're amazing friends uh, and colleagues. And so, yeah, we ran a chat then. And then when Twitter like was a thing that everybody was into, we pushed over there and um, it was an exciting time to be part of social media and recruitment because yeah. they just came together in that particular period. Do you see, and, and that's funny you should say that that was an interesting time to be in, in recruitment because of the social media component. And I feel like there's this new evolution too. I mean, like a lot of people are talking about AI and machine learning and just kind of how, and, and I feel like it's a lot about how you capture data and how you can automate processes are, are there things that maybe you are doing different because of that? 
Um, I, I'm definitely a huge proponent of automation. However, I think that the more you can make it feel like a human interaction, the better. And there's two reasons for this. The first reason is people ask stupid questions and they don't want to ask stupid questions to a human. So if they know they're talking to a bot, they don't feel so stupid. They don't feel like, uh, how much money is 60 K a year per hour? Or like, Hey, can I get this job without a degree? They would probably not say that to a recruiter unless it was like, you know, a, a job that didn't require a degree. Like there are questions that they would ask, like what are the benefits, et cetera, to a bot that they won't ask to other, to, to human recruiters. And I think that that information is important for recruiters to capture and difficult based on the social structure that we have for them to capture on a live phone call. So that's thing number one. Hmm. Thing number two is people don't want to feel like they're talking to a robot, even if they know they are. So like some crazy thing, like 93% of candidates are totally fine with talking to a bot when they first start their job search. Um, what they don't want is to fall into the hell that was for English, press one. But as the no, press two. You know, like, yeah. we, that's, not what, that's not what they want. They want a little bit more intuitive and hopefully machine learning and natural language processing and all of the things that companies like Maya and uh, Alio and all these things are they're building into their platforms and into and integrating with applicant tracking systems yeah. will allow those candidates to not only share their information but share their information in a way that um, it's captured but not used against them because human bias is for real and um, and sometimes you know I know I've bristled when I've been in an interview and they're like okay well what's the pay Right? You, can, you can't say that to somebody, who, I mean, can, but it's a turnoff. But you can say that to a robot. You can phrase it exactly that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, that, I think that those two things are really going to make a massive difference. I think we do things differently in that we want there to be a certain sense of humanity in there and like kind of a sense of humor, too. Hmm. Yeah, that is really, and it's interesting with, with um, I never actually thought about the chatbots in the way where people can ask questions without feeling um, stupid. <laughs> and, yeah. and they feel a little bit more safe where, or, or less guarded because they can do that. I'm a very inquisitive person. I feel like I've, I've been like exploring this frontier of knowledge in all these different realms. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really interesting way that that could be, that can change how companies are doing the recruitment and lower barriers and the biases like you had mentioned. Um, so it's funny it's how, how quickly time went by. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be speaking at LAX Tech Recruit. You do a lot of talks. Um, you wanna tell us a little bit about what you are gonna be talking about? Yeah, I'm going to be talking about a lot of what we've discussed today, but in, in slightly more depth. Um, basically, that, that theory of empathy, right, which we just talked about with chatbots. So I'm going to talk about um, candidate empathy, putting the candidate at the center of the process, building a persona around them, and then an editorial calendar and recruitment marketing strategy that attracts them, again, based on who they are and how that fits into your, the broader picture of your company. Can you explain the editorial calendar? Is that just like how much, how often you put content out there? Yeah, so um, we use a slightly different vernacular at Red Branch, and I probably should change the name of it. We have something we call a content lead funnel, 
and we've got the candidate personas that go down the left hand side and then we have all six sales stages which can be translated to recruitment stages but in addition to that uh, we have types of content that tend to uh, be associated with that stage and form fields that you may want to collect during that stage so you may just want to collect email if you're doing like a gif bug buzzfeed quiz right or you may want to collect you know um, years of college if you're having someone download um, a junior accountant guide or whatever what you need to know your first year as an accountant something like this um, so it's basically putting your content the content you have and the content you want to have in those boxes under the stage that they're in um, the form fields that you want the information basically that you want to get from the candidate and then the, the types of candidates that you're looking to have. And that's where that job family thing that I mentioned earlier comes in. Um, and then just filling it out and then building that content because it's not about a new blog post every week, although it can be. It's about making sure that every hole in that is, uh, piece is filled. So you get them from awareness to retention and renewal, but it's retention for candidates, right? So not only do you wanna have them find your company, learn about your company, consider your company, interview with the company. You want them to get onboarded properly, um, stay there and be an ambassador for you and refer other employees. So that's the six stages of um, candidates um, as they go through that funnel. Hey, Tech Recruit fans, just wanted to take a quick moment to remind you to follow us on Twitter at TechRecruit underscore. You can also find our page on Facebook at Tech Recruit and our group, the Tech Recruit group, where all of our speakers and attendees are hanging out and talking about all the topics and things that they learned at the Tech Recruit conference. And we'll look forward to seeing you at LAX Tech Recruit, July 18th in Playa Vista, Silicon Beach, and Midwest Tech Recruit in Chicago, September 18th. See you there. I, I know that you mentioned, um, depending on the company that you're working for, you will tailor, and maybe they don't use text messages, or maybe they're not online. Um, however, is there a, one particular channel that you really recommend, whether it be maybe Facebook versus LinkedIn versus Instagram that you would potentially, or that maybe you invest most of your time in? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I would say in general, uh, Facebook, if we're looking to hire, uh, that, that stays a pretty standard, um, whether it's contract or corporate or whatever. The only difference is when it comes to very, very young kids, right? So I've got a 19 year old and a 17 year old um, and they wouldn't be caught dead on Facebook. So <laughs> there's no one size fits all, but definitely not Facebook if you're hiring for Gen Z. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, I, my kids are two and five, so <laughs> I'm not in the, in the teenage years yet, but oh yeah, that's, um, so would that be more, they would probably be on Snap or on uh, Instagram? Yeah, Snap, Insta. Um, there's some, like, that TikTok is a thing, apparently. Mm. Don't ask me about recruiting on it. Don't know. Um, but it's just the same information that you're trying to get to them, right? So, um, yeah, they're very, and they're very different, I think, than Gen Y. And people want to say millennials and, and this new generation are the same, but they're super duper not. Uh, it's fascinating to watch them come into 
you know, our sort of blogosphere and like thought leadership because I've got kids that age. And so I'm like, yeah, that's not real. That's not true. <laughs> um, can I ask you as, as, um, as we're closing, can you tell us about your tech stack um, as you market your own brand? Yeah, um, so our site is built on WordPress. We use Visual Composer on the back end, which is a WordPress plugin so that everybody can operate the site easily. We use SEMrush um, to run SEO and SEM audits. Um, we use Buffer in HubSpot Social. We use HubSpot, obviously, in general. We use Evernote, Evernote uh, KinHR, Gusto for Payroll, LastPass for Password Management, um, and Zoom for, for calls like this, which you obviously use as well. Um, and then we run most of our stuff um, on monday.com with a back end of Google Drive. What do you use Evernote? How do you use Evernote? Um, in lots of different ways, mainly to uh, keep records like receipts, uh, important numbers, stock certificates. But we really use it so that um, Andrea, who you've probably gone back and forth with, um, she collects all of our performance review data, uh, the anecdotal pieces, and puts them in an Evernote so that we can go through it without having to click back and forth in Kin. Um, and so that's, that's primarily what we use it for. And then to record those performance reviews and make sure that they, you know, we have files for all employees so that they know what was said and, and can access them at any time. Do you use HubSpot as your CRM or for all your... <laughs> not for all of our clients but we are a hubspot uh diamond partner i think or platinum maybe we're platinum mm -hmm. uh, but we've won a couple of awards uh we just had some folks come back from hubspot partner day um i'm super psyched to be speaking for the first time at inbound this september and um for a long time we didn't want to use hubspot because it wasn't built for b2b but i think it really is now so um we encourage our clients to be on it. Of course, we have people on Cardot, Marketo, Elkbot. Um, but for the most part, we're very much a HubSpot-centric agency, and we love it. I have been in that point where I need to make that decision, and it's like there's three I'm looking at, and I'm just not sure which one to go with, and, you know, should we do the Marketo, the HubSpot? Should we do the Google Enterprise Suite, Social Oomph? Um, would, over those, you would recommend HubSpot? I really would. I mean, I, I haven't tried Google Enterprise Suite, to be totally fair. Uh, but we do use, like, Google Drive for everything. We use Google for our calendaring, like, just about every single thing. Um, and I think if that were an option for us, we would have probably figured it out by now. Um, like I said, HubSpot did not used to be built for B2B, but today I really feel that it is. And you can manage a lot of stuff in HubSpot. Um, more than I realized before. So, thank you so much for your time today. Very excited to come to LA and very excited to meet you in person and um, see Craig and Rianne and a lot of other wonderful people that I that I see that you have speaking there. So I'm really honored to have the opportunity and I'm excited to talk about this. As you can see, I never shut up about it. Clearly. I know. I feel like we could just kind of keep wrapping, and an hour has flown by. So I don't want to keep. Build a fireside chat to the to the conference, and we'll be fine. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Tech Recruit Podcast, Marin Hogan. You have a great day. Thanks. Same to you. Bye. Bye.